Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Samuel, Shmuel Bet, chapter 14. We left off with the story of Amnon's attack, uh, rape of his sister Tamar, who was the very close sister of the uh, of Shalom, his other brother. Uh, we discussed before the possible the familial relationships and how they worked, and after that attack, we talked about how Avshalom then um, then uh, took it into his own hands to take revenge against Amnon. Several years later, he ordered his his men to uh, kill to murder Amnon at a party. Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, suspicion that David had that Avshalom was out to kill the entire king's family in order presumably to take over the kingdom, but that in the end Avshalom really only had killed uh, the um, had only killed Amnon. And then we read about how Avshalom ran off to uh, Geshur, the land of Geshur, a faraway land, stayed there for for a while for several years. And during this time, we learned how David pined for his son, missed his son, and that's how we left it off. So at this point, David's family has begun to unravel in a very serious way. One, first with the rape of Tamar, second with the murder of Amnon, and third with Avshalom running away. Several things are important to note. Remember, David was quiet, did not say anything to Amnon, did not criticize Amnon, did not take him to task, did not have him suffer any punishment for the terrible deed that he did with his sister Tamar. The um, fact that David was quiet was what got Avshalom so angry. And it, it, it's clear, it's obvious that the, uh, the prophet is trying to teach us that David's silence was because David could not speak up against Amnon. He could not speak up because David himself had that feeling of guilt. Now, the right thing for David to have done would have been to do something, to speak up and say something. But we're going to see how silence is going to be uh, part of David's mistakes as this goes through. David's inability to stand up for what's right and do what's right because of his own guilt is going to cause him to stumble in many ways. And this, the example before was the first one because in the end it resulted in the death of Amnon because Avshalom saw that his father was not going to do, any, uh, do anything to, um, to mete out justice to Amnon. So now David is missing his son. His son Avshalom ran away. I wanted to point out also that Avshalom ordered the death of Amnon in, in almost an echo to what his father had done, who had ordered the death of, of Uriah when he took his wife Bathsheba. So um, Avshalom is simply following in his father's footsteps. Certainly Avshalom knew that and understood that when he did this. Now, but however, David goes and loses Avshalom. So we begin this step, next, next chapter 14, Vayeda Yoav ben Suriah. Yoav, the son of Tzuriah. Yoav is David's trusty, uh, his, his trusted servant, his, the general of his army. We see a mixed relationship, but mostly positive until this point between Yoav and David. As we see, you know, Yoav is his trusted general. We, we did see how Yoav had killed Avner Bener, who had come to make peace between 
the two camps before David had solidified his kingdom and at a time when there was still uh, the, the, Saul's son was still a, a king of the other tribes. At that time, Avner came to make peace and Yoav refused to allow that to happen and killed Avner. David held that grudge, we'll see for many years actually, forever. However, for the most part, Yoav was still a very loyal servant and trusted by David. And Yoav knew that the king's heart was, was heavy regarding Avshalom. Now, this mean, meaning that he was thinking about Avshalom. Now, this, the, the, the Pasuk, the verse here, deliberately doesn't tell us what this means that the king's heart. Was he worried about him? Was he angry at him? Was he concerned about him? Did he miss him? So the impression is that the reason why the, the, the verse leaves it ambiguous is because all of the above were probably true. He probably f- missed him. He felt bad that he had left. He also felt guilty that it, it, his own sins had brought this about and now Avshalom was away. He was also angry at Avshalom for taking justice into his own hands. Probably all of the above were true. And Lev HaMelech Avshalom is simply saying that his heart was heavy regarding what had happened with Avshalom. So Yoav wants to um, somehow resolve this problem, somehow bring this family back together, bring the royal family back together to preserve it so that it can perpetuate and move forward. You see that we'll see from what we're about to see that Yoav is going to try to teach David a lesson that no matter how difficult the past is, no matter what mistakes were made in the past, we still have to make peace with the people that we love and move forward. So Vayishlach Yoav Tekoa. Yoav sent messengers to Tekoa, which is a town um, uh, you know, uh, not far from Jerusalem, and uh, near Bethlehem, near Bethlehem, he took from there a wise woman. We've had several instances where there was a wise woman, and we will see soon why it's important that she was a wise woman. He needed someone who was able to think on her feet, who was able to accomplish the objective that needed to be accomplished, even if the, um, you know, and he couldn't, he couldn't rely on specific instructions. If A, do B, if B, do C, she needed to be able to think on her feet, and we'll see soon, she certainly was able to do that. And he said to her, His Ablina, act as if you are in mourning. Be in mourning. Excuse me. And dress yourselves in the garments of mourning. Do not smear with oil, which was a practice that people did normally, but when they were mourning, they did not do that. And and be like this type of woman, a woman in mourning, many days, as if you are mourning over a death in your family. This was in his instructions to her. <coughs> and I want you to come to the king, and speak to him, tell him this thing. In other words, he told her what to say. It doesn't specify what it is that he told her to say, but we'll see in a moment what that was. And Yoav placed these words in her mouth. He told her what message she should bring to the king. And the woman of the king um, said, I'm sorry, the woman from Tekoa said to the king, 
So it skips the part where she traveled there, gets an audience with the king and goes in. It's just now she's there. So now she said to the king, Vatipol ala pa and she fell on her face, Artsa, to the ground, and she bowed to the king, and she said, Save me, O king, save me, help me, help me, save me, O king. So here you have her uh, appealing to the king as if she's desperate, she's in a difficult situation, and she really needs his help. So the king said, What's wrong? What's the problem? What's going on with you? What can I do for you? And she said, However, only you should know that I am a woman who is uh, a widow and my husband passed away. And to your maidservant, in other words, to me, I have two sons. The two of them were fighting in the field. <coughs> it's not clear what they were fighting about, but it doesn't matter. The story is made up anyway. And no one would save them. In other words, no one would stop the fight. No one would break them up. They were out there alone. And one of them struck the other one and killed him. So there was some kind of a fight. And, and as a result of one of them uh, hitting the other one, that the other one died. And my entire family has now come to your maidservant, to me, in other words. And they said, Give us the one who killed his brother, and we will kill him. In, in retribution for the soul of his brother that he killed. And we will um, kill anyone who's going to inherit. Now, it's interesting that it's the family that comes to do this. And one gets the sense that, sure, they are pretending to be looking out for justice, although it's not clear that, that justice would necessarily be served. What was the circumstances of this fight? It would require an investigation. What kind of a fight was it? Did he strike him in self-defense? Maybe the one who was killed came after that. We don't know. We have no idea. But the family stating, um, we will we'll kill the we'll kill him, uh, you know, for justice, and we'll kill the everyone who's going to inherit you. Presumably because they're thinking, since we're the family, then we'll get to inherit the property of the the man who had passed away, the the father. And if they do that, they will. Um, Put out the any remaining coals that remain of my family. So there would be no memory left of my husband, no memory or name left in the land. Remember that this, especially in those days, a man's memory was was carried on forward by his by his sons, especially his sons who inherit his property, and they want to kill everything. The woman's saying they want to kill my this this other son. And then I'm going to lose everything. I'll be left with no one. So this story clearly is trying to uh, uh, be a, an example, of which will eventually the king will recognize that this is a that that this is a comparison to what happened with Avshalom and Amnon, that one son killed the other, and if you banish the other son and you don't reconcile with him, you'll lose everything. And so immediately David said, but the first thing David says is, well, I need to investigate. So the king said to the woman, go home, and I will 
give a command regarding you. In other words, I'm going to look into the case. Presumably, you know, I need to find out what were the circumstances to do whatever investigation he can to make a proper judgment in this case. And this is where the Isha Chachama part comes in. She said the story that you have told her, but now she has to think on her feet because this is not enough. The point of telling David the story is that David should learn the lesson and therefore do an action which Yov is trying to influence. So if she just stops here and goes home, she won't accomplish her mission, which is why Yoav had to get an Isha Chachama, a smart woman who's able to think fast. The woman from Tekoa said to the king, um, May the guilt of this death that's going to happen <coughs> be upon me. The sin, uh, which is, uh, um, I, <coughs> I'm sorry, may the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not translating this uh, clearly. Allah Adoni Hamelech Avon, Adoni Hamelech, King, upon me should be the sin via Besavi, and upon my, on my family. And the king and his throne will be clean, will be innocent. Now, what does this mean? She's saying that the, the death could happen any moment. <coughs> if you just wait for an investigation, my family is clamoring for blood. They're going to kill, and then the guilt will be upon me for not having stopped it, and on my family for having carried out this terrible deed by killing my other son. And the king will walk away without any guilt because he was investigating. So in other words, it's not enough to tell me, go wait. By the time I'm finished waiting, it's going to be too late. Vayomer HaMelech, and the king said, Hamadaberi Laich, if anyone speaks to you at all, Vehevi, so Eli, bring him to me, Velo Yosif Od I will not allow uh, him to trouble you or bother you. So the king steps it up a little bit more, but it's still not enough. Vatomer, then she says, Yizkarna HaMelech et Adonai Elohecha, let you, the king, remember the Lord, your God. And please uh, stop the Goel Hadam, the avenger, avenger of the blood, to come and destroy and kill. And stop them so that they should not destroy my son. In other words, do something. It's not enough to say, I'll protect you. If someone bothers you, that's not enough either. Do something so that they don't kill my son. By Yomer, and he said, "Chay Adonai Mipo Misaras Pnechartsa." By the life, uh, you know, as 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 God lives, right? There, I swear that that not a hair of of your son's head will fall to the ground. In other words, your son will not be harmed. In other words, you're right. I will do something about it. Vatomer Ho'isha, and then the woman said. Please allow your maidservant to say something else. I want to take this a step further. Please let me say another word. And he said, I give you permission. Go ahead and speak. And then the woman said, because David is still not getting the message that the story isn't even real. He's still not getting the message that the purpose of hearing this story is for him to learn a lesson about his own life. So she says, Vilama. Chashavta kazos al amhelohim. If you're so, if you, if you're so into justice and you so much want to protect my son from dying, so that I don't lose everything, why did you think in such a way, right? 
against the people of God, against the entire nation. Because what happens with your family, of course, happens with the whole nation. Umidaber hamelach hadavor hazek ashem. When the um, when the melech speaks in this way, he makes himself like he is sinning, makes himself like he is doing something wrong, because he shows <coughs> that in his own life, in the life of the royal family, of his family, he's not dealing with this that that family fairly. Because the king isn't bringing back his banished son, <coughs> his own son, who's banished away. Because we all die, says the woman. All of us will die one day. If we don't do something now, we're all going to be gone. It's like water that pours along the ground. It can never be gathered back. Once we're dead, we're gone. It's over. God will not, will never take away the life of someone God does not take away someone's life. Rather, he thinks of ways. So that a banished one should not remain banished. This I just want to explain this verse again because this is so powerful what she's telling David. It's really this verse can be broken into two halves. The first is kimos, namos. Right? We're all going to die someday. And when we die, it'll be like water that flows away and can never be gathered. It's gone. So we must do it soon because if we don't reconcile now, it eventually will be too late. And number two, she tells him, below God, God doesn't just take away. He doesn't just punish and take people away. He doesn't just banish so that we remain banished. He, he thinks of ways to bring banished people back. He leaves a path. There's always a path for the banished one to come back. God always leaves a path for someone who is banished to come back. So you, you, David, you should go and do something to bring Absalom back. You should go and bring him back so that there can be a reconciliation. That's your job. Sitting here quietly because you feel guilty. Because you are bound up by your sin. You're bound up by what you have done. Because of your guilt, you can't absolve yourself of the responsibility as king to bring Absalom back, to bring peace to the people. <coughs> and now, the fact that I have come to speak to the, my master, the king, about this, this issue, <coughs> because the nation, the people, are frightening me. And your servant said, I will speak to the king. What does she mean? Your people are frightening me. Meaning, I'm frightened by what's happening to the nation. I'm frightened by what could happen. Avshalom, everyone knows about his ambitions. Everyone knows about his, 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 um, <coughs> his qualities. <coughs> and everyone knows the potential for this entire endeavor of David's kingship to fall apart. We must do something to stop this. And that's why my, my, your, my, your servant, I, has said, I, I will plead, I will definitely go speak to the king. Maybe the king will do as his maidservant has, has, um, has spoken. 
I'm going to stop here after her appeal, and we're going to restart the next part of this chapter with David's response to this extremely bold and extremely wise woman. Thank you so much for studying 14a with me. Looking forward to studying 14b and, of course, the rest of this beautiful book of Shmuel together.